Thank you, John, and praise team. Thank you, Francis, for that prayer. Thank you, Wade, for uh, opening us with uh, reading the Word of God. If you have a Bible, if you would open up to Luke chapter 5, that's where our, our sermon will come uh, in just a moment. If you're a guest today, glad, that, glad you're here. I would love to have an opportunity to meet you. I'll be in the very back by uh, the sign that says Next Steps and would love to talk with you about College Hills and what we're striving to do. If you're visiting either in person or online, glad to have all of those who are uh, worshiping with us online as well. A uh, couple things I want to remind you about. Uh, this coming Wednesday night is our annual prayer service, our back-to-school prayer service. It's a really important gathering. Uh, I think in light of all the violence we see going on across the nation in schools, it's just really important for us to come together as a church, as a community, uh, to pray for our teachers and pray for our students. And so you may not be a person who normally comes on Wednesday nights. I hope you'll be with us this Wednesday night at 630. Uh, and the agenda is, is prayer. And so uh, that's coming up. Also, I want to remind you, next Sunday morning is our annual, or rather our, our quarterly vision offering. It's a very important offering. So I hope you're thinking about and praying how you can be involved in that offering. And so that is uh, next Sunday morning. When I was growing up, one of my favorite television shows was the old TV show called Twilight Zone. Now, how many of you remember Twilight Zone, right? Some hands go, some of you are too young, you don't remember Twilight Zone, so let me tell you a little bit about this TV program. I still watch old reruns of it occasionally. I think especially around the holidays, strangely enough, you'll see reruns of uh, the Twilight Zone. But it was this kind of bizarre TV show that sort of looked at things in an odd kind of way, in a backwards kind of way. It would show you just sort of odd perspectives of things, kind of eerie. Rod Serling was the guy who uh, originated the TV show, and I absolutely loved it. So imagine with me for a moment, imagine we're watching an old, an old Twilight Zone episode, and, and it's showing this crazy kind of world where in order to go to a hospital or go see a doctor, you have to be the picture of health. Imagine that if you called a doctor to go see the doctor, the doctor said, um, I will only see you if, um, you know, if, if you're just, you know, uh, you, you have no issues, no, no health issues. Imagine if before you go see an optometrist to get glasses, you had to have perfect 20-20 vision. Or before you saw a dentist, your teeth had to be absolutely white and perfectly straight. Imagine a world where teachers only taught people who already mastered the material, who were already straight-A students, who already knew how to do algebra and all new history and all the rest. Imagine you couldn't see a therapist if you struggled with anxiety or depression. You could only go see a counselor or a therapist if you were the picture of health. You had everything going for you emotionally. Now, we hear a world like that and we think that's kind of strange, that's kind of odd and bizarre, and yet as strange as all of that sounds, that's how some people see the church. It's almost like we think, well, the church is for perfect people. The church is for those who've got their lives all figured out, all straightened up, all cleaned up. And it's almost as if some people, when they think of church, there's a sign above the door that says, no sinners allowed, only perfect people in here. That's how some people see the church. And if 
if you have that perspective or that persuasion, we're more like this group of hyper-spiritual, hyper-religious people who existed in the first century who were called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were this group of people the name literally means separated ones. They didn't want to be around folks who didn't have their life all together. They sort of separated themselves from people who struggled. And so they struggled with the ministry and teachings of Jesus. We see this struggle all through the Gospels. Now, I want to be careful because though some of us in this room might have some Pharisaic leanings if we're not careful, I want, to, I want us to not be too judgmental or harsh on the Pharisees because they, they really... They, they wanted to do things right. They thought they were doing what God wanted them to do. And yet they'd gotten so much wrong and they'd missed the point in so many ways. Today, as we continue our message series, Life-Changing Conversations with Jesus, we're going to listen to two great conversations. We're going to listen into a conversation that Jesus has with this religious group, the Pharisees, who had sort of turned things upside down and we're looking at things in sort of this this upside down sort of way he has some strong words for them but also before we get to the pharisees we want to listen in on a conversation that jesus has with this interesting person by the name of matthew matthew has this conversation with jesus his life is so impacted by that conversation that later on he will write down and record the interactions he has with Jesus. He would write them down in a book, and we still have that book today. It's the very first book in the New Testament. It's called the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's name before or after he was Matthew, was changed. As we read through the Bible, oftentimes people who have a religious experience, people who interact with Jesus or others, their names are changed. Matthew's name is changed, and we, we find him in the Scripture reading, and his name there is Levi. Now, do you know where the name Levi comes from? Now, if you thought about it for a moment, you could probably think back to the Old Testament and think about the 12 tribes of Israel, and one of the tribes was named Levi. And you know probably that from Levi would come the priests. That was the priestly tribe. I wonder, I don't know, but I, I wonder if Levi's mom and dad had a dream for their boy. I wonder if they thought when he is born, we dream of our son being a priest. We know that priests were God's go-betweens. But that's not how Levi's life turned out. As sin always does, sin has this way of getting into our lives and it twists and distorts and mars things. And so now instead of representing God, Levi lived a life where he was representing Rome. Instead of being God's go-between, Levi was Rome's go-between. He was a despised tax collector. He, he was someone that, that no one among his own people really liked because he was seen as this sellout. I remember one time I was preaching a sermon like this and I was talking about tax collectors. And I, I wanted the people that I was preaching to to have this sense that nobody really wanted to be a tax collector. It wasn't someone that folks, that, that people uh, aspired to pursue. 
no child wanted the, uh, when they were young would say, when I grow up, I want to be a tax collector. And so to make that point, I said, so how many of you all, when you were young, you wanted to be a, a doctor or a nurse? Raise your hand. And several people raised their hands. I said, how many of you, when you were young, wanted to be a teacher? Raise your hand. Several people raised their hands. How many of you wanted to be a a fireman or, or a police officer, raise your hands. Some hands were raised. Then I said, how many of you, when you were young, wanted to be a tax collector? I was expecting no hands to be raised. But at halfway back sat Leo Rear. And Leo Rear blew my whole sermon. He raised his hand. Lee wants to be a tax. I want to be a tax collector when I was young. Now, I think you got to know about Lee. Lee worked for the IRS. And so I didn't know what to do with that. But anyway, I made the point, which I'm making right now, which is nobody really wanted to be a tax collector. And yet that's what Levi became. He was this tax collector. And so one day, Jesus is going about his ministry. He's walking down the road, and he comes up to Levi, and Levi is at the tax collector's booth jesus walks up to him had i been there that day i might have been thinking to myself jesus don't choose levi lord he is not the guy that you want uh, he he is someone who is corrupt he is someone who who bilks the system he is someone who charges exorbitant taxes so he can pad his own pockets he is someone people aren't going to like the fact that you choose levi if that's who you choose to be one of your disciples okay you can choose some fishermen that's fine you can choose some folks like that but not levi lord please don't do it Jesus walks up to Levi at the tax collector's booth. This one who is embroiled in a, in a, a system that was corrupt, he walks up to this man and he says just two words that would change Levi's life forever. He looks at Levi and he says, follow me. And then I love in verse 28 where it says, and we'll put it up on the screen, that Levi got up, he left everything, and he followed him. Now Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were fishermen, and as we read about the moment when they followed Jesus, they, they left their nets, they left their boats, they left their dad, and they followed Jesus too. They left everything, but there's a difference. These fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they could go back to fishing if they need be. In fact, there's some indication that after Jesus went to the cross, that's in fact what they did. They went back to fishing. But for Levi, it's different. You see, the Roman government really didn't like it if you turn your back on them. There was no going back. There were no second chances. And so for Levi to get up and leave everything, he was... He, he was having a completely fresh start, a new beginning. He left everything to follow Jesus. And so the question that I, I ask myself is, why, why did he leave his wealth and his position and his privilege? Why, why would he leave all of that? And I'm not sure of the answer totally. But he left everything to be near Jesus. He was drawn to Jesus. And I think really in his mind, he wasn't losing anything. He was gaining everything. 
He wanted to be near the one who offers joy. He wanted to be near the one who offers life and forgiveness and purpose and meaning and all of the rest. And so from this moment on, Levi began acting as a priest, representing God to his people. Levi was becoming a true Levite. And I love what Levi does next. I I love how that Levi decides, now that I'm following Jesus, now that I have embraced this this one who who means everything to to me, I, I want others to experience this. And so to Levi, it's not complex. He doesn't overthink it. It's pretty simple. So what Levi does is he decides to throw this massive dinner party. And who does Levi invite to join him with Jesus? It's not a private party. It's a, it's a big party. Levi invites all of his friends. And so as, as we read the story in, in this gospel, in Luke's gospel, we come to understand that Levi invites his tax collector friends. I mean, that's who he knew. He worked with them. But Luke also says he invites tax collectors and others. I want to know who the others are. Well, let me just tell you, the others are not religious insiders. The others are not church folk. The others are not people that the religious insiders would think would be good sorts of people. Oh, oh no, Levi invites all of his friends to be with him. And and interestingly enough, we have some gate crashers, some party crashers. Interestingly enough, we have these folks called the Pharisees, these religious insiders, and they watch what's going on, they watch what's transpiring, and they're not happy about it. Uh, They look down at the guest list, and they don't like the guest list. They don't like who's invited to the party, and so they start doing what sometimes, and I'm one of these folks, what sometimes religious insiders can do. I know this because I'm a religious insider. Sometimes we like to complain. We do. And so the Pharisees start complaining to, to Jesus' disciples. And what do they say? with the wrong people now when I describe a disciple and you've seen me do this before when I describe a disciple I I like to put on this on the screen uh, a triangle and on that triangle I talk about a disciple really is someone who's a follower of Jesus who's experiencing transformation and who's on mission with Jesus and if you think about Levi for a second that describes him right Levi Heard Jesus call. Jesus said, follow me. So he left everything and he follows him. Jesus, uh, Levi has experienced so much transformation, he leaves his old life. He, he leaves the life of being a tax collector. That's, that's transformation. And then what does he do? He invites all of his friends to his house for this wonderful party. That's mission. And so my question for you is, are you a disciple? I'm not talking about a casual church attender. I'm not talking about someone who kind of shows up and generally likes what church is about, but you've got your own life. Are you a disciple? That's what Jesus calls us to be. That's the point of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the point. The church is a gathering of disciples, men and women who are sold out to Jesus. What does that look like? It looks like someone who's seriously following, someone who's experiencing transformation, and someone who along with Jesus is engaged in this incredible 
mission. And so here is, here is Levi. He throws this party. Everybody comes to his house. There are Pharisees. Uh, there are tax collectors and sinners, prostitutes, all sorts of people who are there. The Pharisees, they, they come and they see what's going on. They don't like what's going on. And so they complain to the disciples. And here's what they say. Here's the complaint they make. Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? This is the question they're asking of Jesus' disciples. You see, we might scratch our heads and wonder, so what's the big deal about a meal? We have meals with a lot of people. We invite folks to our house all the time. We might not be the best of friends, but understand, in the ancient world, when you sat down and had meal with someone, what that suggested was a level of acceptance. And the Pharisees did not like the fact that it appeared that Jesus was accepting these folks. And so we could almost imagine them saying something like, Jesus, why are you with these people whose lives are so messed up? Whose lives are polluted by sin? Jesus, don't you know these people are sick? And Jesus would have said, well, the good thing is, I'm the doctor. And so, Jesus says to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. He overhears this conversation, and so Jesus now is going to speak to the Pharisees. And Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. Every now and then I go see a doctor. I, I realize as a man, I rarely go to a doctor. I don't like to go see a doctor because I'm just that. And so when I have a sniffle or a cough, it's, it's like I have some incurable disease that's suddenly come over me. That's kind of how men are a lot of times. But on the rare occasions when I go see a doctor, after the initial chit-chat, the doctor will often ask this question. He will say to me, so Kevin, what brings you in to see me today? Can you imagine if I said to that doctor, well, doctor, I've, I've come in to tell you that I'm a perfect specimen of health. I've come in to tell you, to share with you this good news that I've never felt better. That doctor would look at me and would say, you're wasting my time, Kevin. Don't you understand? I'm here for sick people. See, Jesus is for sinners. This passage right here is one of the few passages in the Gospels, and there are several that you'll find all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus takes the time to describe why he has come. And he, he uses it in a negative light to describe his mission. He says, I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners to repentance. And so let me ask you a question this morning. Might be at this point that the preacher goes from preaching to meddling just a little bit. But let me ask you a spiritual question. How do you see yourself? Are you a sinner? 
Now be careful, I know, when we ask that question, especially in church, we might want to say, well, well, yeah, yes, but, yeah, I'm a sinner, but see, I've embraced Jesus, and I've got a pretty good life, and I come to church, you know, every now and then, and I give a little of my money, and I maybe joined a group, and yes, but, are you a sinner? Be careful, because we might be claiming to be righteous like these Pharisees. Here's the thing. A doctor can't help you if you claim to be well and Jesus can't help you if you claim to be righteous it was Paul in the book of Romans who would say in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 there's none righteous no not even one it is both ironic and scary to me that the sickest people in the story are the Pharisees and they didn't even know they needed healing. I say it's scary to me because sometimes I wonder about myself. Where are my blind spots? Where do I need healing? I need to be careful that, that I might be more like these Pharisees than in fact I'm like the other folks around the table who understood their condition. As we say, the first step toward our healing is first admitting that we're sick we, we can learn so much from jesus both as as a church learn things that we need to be about as a church but also in individually it's so simple but it's so true and maybe the obvious point here is that jesus takes the initiative to reach sinners and here's the thing sometimes we get so focused on insiders Sometimes we get so focused on how we do church right. Sometimes we get so focused on ourselves that we forget about the real mission. We forget about the one thing that Jesus has called us to do. Oh, it is it's sad and tragic, and I see this in churches all across America. They get so involved in, in, in squabbles and fights and all the rest. There's no time, no energy, no focus to reach people in our world who are hurting and lost and sick and yet Jesus when he came he spent time with folks who needed healing I've often wondered what made Jesus so winsome so attractive I mean think about this uh, Phil Philip Yancey and we'll put this up on the screen Philip Yancey once said this he said how did he the only perfect person in history managed to attract, though notoriously imperfect. Isn't that a great question? Uh, because you see, not only were imperfect people attracted to Jesus, but, but Jesus loved being around them. As you read through the Gospels, one of the things you, you'll find, especially in, in Luke's Gospel, in Luke's Gospel, you can almost study that Gospel by looking at all the times that Jesus is at table with various people. Jesus is either being invited to have meals with folks or he's inviting himself to have meals with folks, as in the case of, of Zacchaeus. And here's the thing I know. You don't invite people to your dinner party who are killjoys. You don't invite people to your dinner party who are hyper-serious and hyper-religious hyper who, who, you know, you can't have a conversation with. No, no, you invite interesting people over to your house, and that's who Jesus was. And so in contrast to Jesus, 
We see these Pharisees who were so concerned about an appearance of religiosity, but their lives and how they responded to others crushed and discouraged all sorts of folks. And because Jesus loves being around the lost and the hurting, he he reached out to them. Many churches, we, we avoid sinners. We avoid the messiness of people's lives. And we forget why we exist. But remember what Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. And so we see that in his his ministry. He's spending more time with outsiders than insiders. His harshest words are reserved for insiders, not outsiders. And have you noticed, sometimes as preachers, we invert that. Sometimes as churches, we invert that. Our harshest words are for those those outsiders, those folks, those Folks out in the world, ah, there's so much sin out there. Well, of course there is. They're lost. But Jesus himself, he came as a doctor to heal the sick. Something else we learn from Jesus, and that is he was not afraid to call sinners to repentance. You see, we, we can't cure ourselves. The sickness we struggle with is, is too deep, it's too much. Our illness is terminal. But the good news is Jesus is the great physician who can come and offer the medicine that will cure us and save our souls. When we begin to understand this truth about ourselves, every last one of us, it drives us to our knees in repentance. When we see the truth about our our own sin, our own sickness, it's only then that we turn to Jesus and can find true healing. You know, as we read through the Gospels and we see Jesus at these banquets, it's only fitting that, that Jesus tells us and tells the disciples that one day, He's going to throw this wonderful party. That one day he's coming back and he's going to have this incredible banquet. And the amazing thing to me, there's going to be an incredible tone of celebration at this banquet, at this this amazing party. Because when Jesus comes back the second time, friends, everything will be set right. When Jesus comes back, he's going to be the host. He's going to be the, the one who throws this party, this, this banquet. And I believe it will be a celebration because we will celebrate that creation is renewed. We'll celebrate that death is swallowed up in victory. We'll celebrate that disease is abolished. We'll celebrate that evil is destroyed and sin is cleansed. We'll celebrate the fact that we can be with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and all our brothers and sisters who've gone on before us for an eternity in this incredible banquet of joy. And so, my friends, here's the thing. You don't want to miss that banquet. Probably the person who's had more impact on my preaching than any other person is a guy by the name of Fred Craddock. You probably haven't heard that name, but if you're a preacher, you know who Fred Craddock is. I had an opportunity one time uh, to, to visit with Fred, meet Fred. He was doing a seminar in North Georgia where he had retired. 
and it was it was a great moment in my life but Fred has had this incredible influence through his teaching ministry he he taught at Emory University Candler School of Theology he he has written all sorts of books he he was the one who kind of pioneered this this thing that we call inductive preaching he's a marvelous marvelous preacher but in in one of Fred's books he tells the the story of how what it was like for him growing up and you might think well so this incredible leader this great preacher he probably had a perfect life growing up well he did not he grew up in a home where his dad was antagonistic to his faith his dad was an angry man his, his dad did not like the fact that his mother would take him to church and so oftentimes when they were leaving to go to church his his dad would lash out in anger and berate them Oh, occasionally their preacher would, would come by the house and it would invite Fred's dad to church, wanted to encourage him to obey Jesus and, and become a follower of the Lord's, but, but the dad would become angry and violent. And at one point he said to some preacher who came by his house, he said, you don't love me. The only reason you want me to come to your church is so I'll give you some money. The behavior of his dad was humiliating to Fred and his mother. Later in, Fred, in Fred's life, his, his dad got an aggressive form of cancer. And it was so bad that he was unable to talk. It affected his, his voice box, his, his throat. And this angry man who, who took things out on everyone now became silent. He ended up in a hospital, and while he was there, the church does what the church does. Expresses love and reaches out to folks, and so they began writing him notes and sending flowers to the hospital and sending food. Fred Craddock knew his dad didn't have long to live, and so he lived far away from his mom and dad at this time, but he, he came back home, and he knew probably this would, this would be his last time he would see his dad Fred goes into the dad's hospital room he's looking at all the flowers and all the notes that are written and he he says this to his dad he said my dad saw me look at the flowers and read the cards he could not speak so he took out a Kleenex box and wrote on the side a line from Shakespeare that said, In this parched world, draw your breath in pain and tell my story. And Fred said to his dad, Dad, what's your story? And then this is what he wrote. I was wrong. Friends, you can be wrong about many things. But don't be wrong about Jesus. Don't be wrong about church. Don't be wrong about the fact that there's none of us righteous, not a single one of us. Don't be wrong about that. Because if you understand who you are, you're a sinner. If you understand how badly you need Jesus, if you'll come to him, he will provide that healing that you need.
And I'm convinced we'll have a sense of humility about us. Instead of judging or arguing with, we'll learn to love people. Starting with people right where they are. Because we know we're all sinners. And every last one of us needs the great physician to heal our soul. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you've been at a place where you felt antagonistic. Don't be wrong about Jesus. Today Jesus invites you to his banquet. Today Jesus invites you to himself. Today if we can help you in any way, come as we stand and sing.